This is the Sandman Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're discussing the Sandman Chapter 11, Dream of a Thousand Cats and Calliope. Many, many seasons ago, cats truly ruled this world. We were larger then. Everything made for us. Humans were tiny creatures, no larger than we are now. They would groom us, feed us. When the moon shone full, we would hunt them. For they were more delightful to catch than even birds. Oh, the joy of those days I saw in his eyes. The game of cat and man. Welcome back, fellow dreamers, to TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about The Sandman, Chapter 11, Dream of a Thousand Cats and Calliope. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow dreamers. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this trio of dreams, or nightmares, depending on your uh, punchief, I am Chris. Welcome back to The Sandman Podcast, Chris. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, I was uh, gallivanting... um, if you don't listen to some of our other podcasts, I was gallivanting around the world. I was in Brazil mm. uh, for some work, and essentially the time differences and space time continuum, or in this case, <laughs> the dream realming, the realms aligning, just did not work for mm-hmm. our podcasting. Yeah, you pretty much missed out on the, on all of the uh, the doll's house storyline and the serial convention and everything that was going on in there. Did you enjoy that arc of, uh, of Sandman? I, again, we I think when we kind of kicked off, this it was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Just the the idea of a serial convention. Mm-hmm. Um, I am Percy of Frosty's man back in the day, or Cocoa Pops if <laughs> I had the chocolatey mood on, on me. Excellent. Um, but the best way I can quickly quickly say it is, they definitely set up that they want a season two. Mm-hmm. They definitely set up that they need a season two. I'm hoping they get a season two. But it felt slightly rushed. And I think the rush, because they could have given us at least one more episode, made this a 12-episode arc, and given us one or two more two weeks go into some of the further threads that they had kind of started going into. So, like, they didn't give us the episode about his wife in hell, Mm -hmm. uh, which is from that earlier volume. I'm assuming that's been shunted into season two. Potentially, Or maybe, potentially. Uh, There's a few one bits and pieces that, like, I would have liked just more some standalones Mm -hmm. um, or kind of just given a bit more time to breathe. I think I'm also saying that is because I just want more Sandman. Yeah. I think that's more where my brain is. I'm like, I'm being critical because I'm annoyed that there is right now a 50-50 chance like it it is Schrodinger's Sandman. Mm. There is both more Sandman and no more Sandman in our future. Absolutely. And and speaking of more Sandman, I suppose that's where we where we get to with this episode, Dream of a Thousand Cats and Calliope. Uh, this was released two weeks after the original 10-episode run. Uh, we mentioned on our podcast about uh, about the last episode, uh, the, episode 10, that that is the end of the season, and this episode was released a couple of weeks later uh, as a kind of a bonus episode. It was called a, called a bonus special event with these two episodes. So the whole intent of these being that they weren't connected into that overall arc story, which really was the story of Unity Kincaid, 
change, which you saw from the first episode to the last episode that was in, t- in its entirety in those 10 episodes. So these are two brand new stories. Um, they follow in the comic books um, the opposite way around. Weirdly, Calliope comes first and then uh, Dream of a Thousand Cats, but they are directly after the Dollhouse arc. It's exactly how uh, how the comic books end and then go into these before it goes into Seasons of Mist, the next major arc uh, for the comic books. So a really interesting way to do it. I heard uh, Neil Gaiman talk about it um, on uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, saying that this was always the plan. This was something that um, David Escorer had come up with in his original approach when it, when they were selling um the warner brothers produced sandman to all of the streaming services that it would always be a 10 episode show with one extra episode coming out a few weeks or a month or so later as a bonus so uh, so interesting that they kept that that's how they were how they always planned to sell it so uh, so an interesting one yeah, isn't it definitely it's, it's unique that they do this like I've, this is one of the first times i've a bonus episode a bonus mm-hmm. piece of hour-long content just just because, because yeah. to reward both the fans, the actors, and probably to bring in, we can talk about it later, they brought in some voices from other Sandman properties mm-hmm. and things like that, yeah. which is a nice, it's a nice also bow to tie to the wider mythos that is the Sandman in pop culture entertainment. Yeah, and, and maybe just to incorporate some of the more standalone type uh, stories yeah. as well. So, yeah. I mean, you know, in a sense, it, it follows that structure from the comics as well absolutely and yep. some and some fan favorites here as well we'll talk about it as we go into the individual episodes as to why i suppose but uh but some of these would be issues that as sandman fans you'd hand to friends of yours and go oh if you want an idea of what sandman's like and don't want the commitment of reading six or seven issues read this one comic and you'll get a a, a feeling as to why as to why people like sandman so uh so i like that they've put that on there so uh we've all we've just sent off uh chris's wife uh to go and watch the uh the dream of a thousand cats for example so uh, mm-hmm. It works the same way. So maybe uh, Kelly will fall in love with Sandman now after watching <laughs> Dream of a Thousand Cats and then wonder why the entire season isn't animated. <laughs> yeah, or why it doesn't have just more cats. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, quick, w- Season of the Mist, is that the one shot? Do we also have the one shot of Will Shakespeare in that one? Or is that much later? Midsummer Night's Dream is actually the next issue directly after um, Dream of the Thousand Cats. So they may start off the second season with uh, with um, Midsummer Night's Dream. Or even that could be the, the bonus episode for next season. Yeah. Because that one for me is outside of Dream of the Thousand Cats, outside of Calliope. For me, that was always the one that was tantalizing. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of just showing how much impact he had in the world mm. in a way that you don't think. Which is, and I'm not going to spoil it, but it's... To do with, we've already met Will Shakespeare. We have. In season one. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice tie in as well. Yeah. They don't have to kind of help too much, but it is very, very good. That's the one I usually send to people. Right. Who are a bit too, comics are too liberal. New <laughs> news. Uh, they're not fine art like literally, like Will Shakespeare. I'm like, well, actually. Why is Chris using the, the impression voice that he uses for you, John? I have there. no idea. That's weird. <laughs> exactly. I love I comics. I, I know you do. That's I, why I don't, supposed to be I'm you. not high I brow. Th- yes. I'm medium brow. Uh, or bushy brow. We'll call it that. No, I'm definitely not bushy brown. No. I don't have caterpillars. No. Right. No, no, Mine they're, they're, are... They're shaped. <laughs> uh, I wish. As usual, we have gone off track again before yes. we've even started. So let's get into our discussion about uh, Dream of a Thousand Cats, the first of the two parts of uh, this episode of The Sandman. Uh, if you have any thoughts about The Sandman, um, this is our final episode about uh, about the show until uh, we come back, hopefully with season two. Uh, but you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with any thoughts that you may have about the overall season we'd love 
love to hear uh, anything you haven't gotten into us uh, so far over the course of the season. And do make sure you subscribe to the podcast. The main podcast feed is available through TV Podcast Industries. Just search that on any podcast catcher. Uh, or you can go to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and subscribe there. We cover loads and loads of shows in TV Podcast Industries, including Good Omens, which uh, myself and John did, uh, from uh, Neil Gaiman and uh, Terry Pratchett, which was on Prime Video uh, last year. We will be covering Good Omens Season 2, of course, uh, when that comes out in Prime Video as well. And yes. maybe even Anansi Boys, uh, also coming from Neil Gaiman, uh, over on Prime Video, which will be very cool to watch. I missed that announcement. Mm, oh, oh. How the hell did I miss that one? Yeah, finished filming and everything. So, uh, Oh, my yeah. God. I think it's coming out before <laughs> Good Omens 2. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Damn, okay. I'm, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And part of the reason, as we've mentioned before, if Netflix don't pick up uh, the second season of Sandman, uh, everything uh, that Neil Gaiman has done uh, seems to be over on Prime Video. So it seems logical that that will be the place for it, including all of the audible Sandman dramas being on the Amazon app audible. So uh, very likely that, uh, that that's where he'll be going with season two of, uh, of Sandman if Netflix don't pick, get their fingers out. Yes, all hail Jeff Bezos, our uh, <laughs> cultural saving overlord who actually likes Neil Gaiman properties. Please save the Sandman. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, let's get into it. Let's talk about uh, the dream of a thousand cats. Uh, once again, executive producers for the show are Alan Heinberg, Neil Gaiman and David S. Gore. Uh, dream of a thousand cats uh, and uh, Calliope were both actually written by the same uh, same writer, uh, Catherine Smith-McMullen. Um, and Dream of a Thousand Cats, the animation was directed by Hisko Hulsing. So... John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for The Dream of a Thousand Cats? Sure. At night, a Siamese cat holds a gathering of other cats at the local graveyard to tell her hope for cats, her experiences, and the story about her encounter with Morpheus in The Dreaming. A long time ago, she met a tomcat with whom she gave birth to a litter of mixed-breed kittens. This displeased her owners, who took the kittens and threw them into a river, traumatizing the Siamese cat. In desperation, the cat dreamed to get answers for this cruel act and revelation of what to do as she meets Morpheus in the form of a black cat and begged him for a solution. Morpheus presented her with a parallel universe in which cats were the dominant species over humans until the humans fought back by dreaming, recreating reality and turning their masters into the cats that mankind sees them as today. Upon finishing her story, the Siamese cat urges the other cats to perform the same enlightenment so that they may reclaim their status as the rulers of the earth. Now, we're all cat owners here at TV Podcast Industries. Uh, if if our fellow dreamers uh, want to have a look at our uh, at our cover photo, uh, we do have inc- we have even included in that uh, a cat um, because Occasionally, when we record, uh, you'll hear one of our cats meowing in the background. Uh, so, so they play as much part uh, in our podcast as uh, as we do sometimes. Um, so, overall, what did you think of the idea? Now, John, you are the person new to Sandman, so uh, myself and Chris have read this story before. What did you think of this idea of having the dream of cats, effectively? I, well, there is that sort of meme, I think, going around where you see a little cat who pretends that he's riding a bike and then crashes off. I think, <laughs> uh, I think we've all seen that, I mean, kind of, which is really hilarious. So, you know, there's something going on when these cats sort of get really relaxed and th- mm. this notion that, you know, this other reality were, um, cats are, are dominant or even like the, um, future armor episode with the cats where they're kind of you know actually mind controlling everyone so <laughs> even you know all, all this really sort of fits with me and yeah. um, but I, I really liked how um i mean 
like in a sense just how this comes about with this Siamese cat because of such a cruel act from like basically an arse really Mm -hmm. and like I thought that was really sad quite frankly like it the depiction um you know was really really awful Mm -hmm. that just because it was mixed breed um kittens yeah uh that then, well, let's drown them. I like, I thought, so I, I like that this Siamese cat, you know, effectively is fighting back against, um, these owners who really shouldn't own any animals if yeah. that's all they're viewing it as. So, exactly. oh, she's a, pre- a pure breed. She can't possibly breed with other cats. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, it, it, in that sense, really enjoyed it. And mm. I just really enjoyed that, in effect, the, the reverse has happened previously with humans not wanting to be hunted effectively yeah. um have the having this same kind of enlightenment so uh, i i love this and i love how you know as i say we see our cats sort of basically fast asleep for most of the day quite frankly mm-hmm. so um so what is happening in yeah. in their old little brains? I think we all know there's something else going on behind their eyes. <laughs> yeah, uh, riding a bike exactly. and then crashing it. <laughs> or dreaming of the time they were ruling the planet. Uh, how about yourself, Chris? <laughs> what, how do you think this was executed uh, from the story that you'd read before? How do you think of, the, of how it was uh, translated to the screen? From a translation point of view, I loved it. The animation was, spot, sorry, I should say, the voices were spot on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more because they went into the some of the previous Neil Gaiman kind of universe of who can we grab and who, who would be happy to lend their voice to another Neil Gaiman property. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about that. That was going to be one of our, one of my later points about the cast yeah. themselves. But, um, but just one thing before we go into it, one of the interesting things is all of this cast signed up under the proviso that they will be allowed to play another role in the future Sandman if they sign up for the voice work on here. <laughs> so oh. everybody here has the opportunity to appear again in the future just because they're on here doesn't mean that's the only appearance that they'll make in Excellent Sandman, stuff, which I love. Yeah. But do you want to talk about the cast, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, so you've got David Tennant, mm-hmm. you've got Neil Gaiman himself, mm-hmm. you've got um, w- the other Lord of Dreams, none other than James McAvoy. Yes. Which I absolutely loved. You yes. have Sandra Oh, you have Rosie Day, you have Joe Lysett as well, mm-hmm. and even Georgia Tennant herself, she's in there as well. Yes. And then, of course, the other uh, angel that lights Neil Gaiman's life. No, then Michael Sheen. Yes, yes, really cool, isn't it? The, the idea that they've got the original couple who own the kitten is uh, are David and George Tennant, so they're the loving couple who take care of the uh, take care of their uh, baby kitten and wonder what's going on in the mind. Uh, Michael Sheen and Anna Lundberg, who are husband and wife as well in real life. Uh, Michael Sheen uh, also in Good Omens with David Tennant. Uh, they're the owners of the of the Siamese cat. So the little switch up there being that uh, Michael Sheen plays the angel and uh, and David Tennant normally plays the devil, so they've switched. Yeah. Up to be the nice and evil versions of themselves, which I, I like again. I think that's a really good touch. But yes, James McAvoy, the voice of Morpheus in the the wonderful audios, uh, audibles of uh, of Sandman. So great to have him over there as well, um, playing kind of Jesus. I think I didn't recognise James <laughs> McAvoy's voice really at all mm. in this. I have to I have to say, yeah. Um, so I I have no idea where Jesus was, unless it was was it the narration with the the cats 
I don't know. He, I, I say I have no idea where he came in here. James McAvoy was the human who stood up and told everybody to dream the dream that the cats were no longer the leaders, that the dream that the, uh, okay, that the humans would be the I ones. I really so, didn't recognise uh, so yeah. uh, James McAvoy. I think that. after listening to uh, 20-odd hours of the audibles, I recognised James McAvoy's voice pretty well now. But I'm yeah. guessing as well because it wasn't Scottish. So Yes, yes, yes. he was using his more Morpheus voice. Ah, okay. <laughs> there we go, there we go. That's why. Yeah, yes. and, and Sandro as the, as the Siamese cat being the kind of um, central voice throughout the story was really good. Really, really enjoyed. Really I didn't good. recognize Sandra O's voice really? there either. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Sandra O. Or from... Michael Sheen as the cruel ass, actually. <laughs> you see, so John? there we go. There you go. Uh, good stuff. Well, My I... hearing is obviously on the blink, <laughs> fellow dreamers. Well, as it I say, is. as I say, the good news, though, uh, all of these uh, actors could be back in the future for uh, for roles in uh, in another season of uh, of Sandman. I can see a few roles that could be open for uh, for those excellent actors as well. So that'd be. Oh my cool. God, Destiny. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Although they do have a, a great um, actor cast as Destiny in the in the audibles, we might see in the show. But uh, but back to the dream of a thousand cats as a storyline itself. Uh, I really like this. I, I love I love this concept as we've mentioned. All being cat owners, all knowing that there's something going on behind the eyes of cats. I love <laughs> uh, that there's this idea that in the past they uh, they did rule the world. But what I like what I like about the um, the storyline itself is how much. Um, the Siamese cat has gone through to get this information. You know, she's gone through her dreams, but she uh, she goes through this this trial almost in order to get this information from the Lord of Dreams. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really interesting idea. So she's gone through this whole um, this whole trial, and then she's bringing the story to the rest of the cats around the world. We see a moment where uh, she's in Paris, and uh, yeah. she's uh, and she's obviously in, in the UK at the at the start of this episode. So she's travelled around at least Europe, uh, spreading the word. Um, but the twist on it that Morpheus tells her is the humans dreamed that it was always this way. So it's not that it that many thousands of years ago the cats did rule the world it's that the the humans dream that it always was this way so you'll never find evidence that the world of cats being rulers existed but it did exist <laughs> it's kind of the the idea i love that little twist on it i the, the worst part you just brought up the 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 paris aspect mm -hmm. and this is where my brain goes okay i literally went how did she get there yeah. like i i don't just believe it i just went I really need to see her jump onto a boat or onto a plane, stow away. I'm just like, give me, just give me the functional details, here, the logistics, because, you know, that really makes the fantastical seem more real. <laughs> You've just given two options there, Chris. Yeah. It could have been either of those two options. I know, but I, I just want to know which. I'm now more like, in the dream of a thousand cats, how does the cat, the prophet, get around the world? See, this is the thing, again, being cat owners or being people that that watch cats I, certainly i have seen a cat on the dart on the on a train in ireland i've seen a cat get off a train on its own onto a onto a train station and you're going how did that cat get on here and why is it getting off at this train station so in this universe in this animated show i can kind of get this idea that a cat might have hopped onto uh, the train across the euro tunnel and everybody just assumes its owner is on board the train and then it just hops off in paris you know <laughs> that's uh, i i can kind of see it this is a very smart siamese cat here you know 
I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> but see, it would have been fun just seeing that logistics in, in animated form, you know, that's <laughs> taking around the world in 80 days. Right? Chris is all about the excitement and entertainment of logistics in animation. Well, yes, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love as well how, you know, the cats as rulers, but I, I really like how the Siamese cat, you know, say goes through this sort of trek to get to Morpheus to get mm-hmm. that revelation. But it, it's also the the bit before it's the cruelty showed to her kittens by the owner you know and the there's a realization from the siamese cat with you know i lived in their world and the price to pay was acceptable which was to show them affection Mm -hmm. and they will feed me water me shelter me and so on but then this realization that she's lied to herself and because we're subordinate to mm-hmm. humanity. Yeah. Um, you know, and like the whole thing where she feels her kittens drowning was like really, really sad. Really brutal. Um, yeah. and so, you know, the praying and dreaming to enter the, the dreaming effectively and then go through this ordeal where, you know, um, she's saying about how, you know, I walked to the, through the cold, the wet, the void, and so on, until reaching, uh, sort of Lord Kitty, uh, Morpheus, um, <laughs> the, and guessing yes. this revelation about how she might be able to change hmm. their, their predicament. But I also love that, you know, all the cats in the graveyard, it, it's the little kitten who is, you know, I believe all the other ones are a little skeptical, just like, well, yeah, she did provide a few laughs, you know, so it, it, it's, you know, the, the cats aren't sort of buying in, um, well, it, but it just needs enough of them. So the more the more tours she does of graveyards and, and I guess, fish markets and so on, mm-hmm. then the more the dreams sort of gain that power from the kitties. Absolutely. And That's the hope. But I love that the, the grey cat, who's the other uh, central cat in the story, I love that he's kind of gone, I don't care who it is, whether it's God, Prophet, or uh, or anybody else, trying to con- to convince a thousand cats to do the exact same <laughs> yeah, thing exactly. at the exact same th- time is impossible. Yeah. Cat, cat Herding cats is yeah. difficult enough. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I love that the little kitten's there on its back at the end, fast asleep mm-hmm. doing the same actions as we see as morpheus uh shows uh one of the cats playing with a human before sort yes. of uh chomping Devouring. down yeah and and you have david tennant's character going oh look at it it's so cute <laughs> as it snaps in yeah, the air yeah. and you know it's got a human in yeah its exactly mouth. yeah really good um very so, quickly, speaking of the kittens, the, mm-hmm. the that little short thirty second, not even ten seconds bit where the 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 prophet is traversing the dreamscape to get, through, but goes through the night, the forest of nightmares mm-hmm. of the the those who came before, and she says she hears, um, she hears the voices of her her children yeah, calling yeah, her, yeah. and you have these baby meows. I know, and I was like, oh, it's heartbreaking. I and know. these little will-o'-wisps kind of floating in the air, circling, and I was just like, that was the one where the the animation slash um, the 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 audio um, kind of put together for this episode kind of <laughs> retweaked me because the when the kittens are drowned. And she says she feels them kind of clawing and yeah. gasping and all that. There's very, very subtle meows and screams mm-hmm. of kittens. Very subtle um, kind of gurgling, if you want to call it that, and sloshing of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just 
heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. Heartbreaking yeah. to hear. Absolutely. Um, yeah. An, a, an interesting horror to start off uh, the month of October with. Um, yes. For us. Um, any other notes, any other thoughts on the episode uh, for, for you guys before we uh, close out that discussion on The Dream of a Thousand Cats? The only thing I'll ask is, Derek, do you think there is another animated episode in the future? And if so, what do you think it might be? Oof. <laughs> mm. Um I can see them doing it. This is the this is probably the most uh difficult thing that you can do, I suppose, is doing animation uh, because it takes so long to do. Um so so it's something that they may have to be planning now if they want to include it into into uh, season 2 or season 3. But throughout the show there are majorly fantastical moments. There's some some really um difficult things that you could do. Like this you couldn't really film in live action, you know. There's no, there's no real <laughs> way you could do it. It would be an absolute nightmare for be. the director. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine having all those cats. Yeah. Herding the cats. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I I can't imagine they would do an an entire story arc in animation. Um, I would say it's going to be one of the individual, uh, individual episodes in the future. There's some episodes that are, that are, um, there's some issues, single issues that are, um, set in major historical settings. Um, where it might be more practical to do it as animation because of how fantastical they get. So uh, that might be an option um, in the future. But uh, I'm not. I, I I can't think of one off the top of my head uh, that would be that would be uh, ready for animation. You heard it here first, fellow dreamers. <laughs> I have stumped Lord of the Sandman, Derek. Well, if you if you set me up with the question beforehand, I might have uh, I might have researched I it. No, no, keep <laughs> so, you on your feet. Keep I'm, you on your feet. I'm really bad, but really bad on my feet, Chris. I'm a researcher. First uh, thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, one of the things I did like about the episode, like we mentioned, Neil Gaiman being in there, it's great to have his voice uh, attached in the episode to the skull bird, the skull crow that gives the guidance to the kitten. I think that was quite cool having uh, Neil Gaiman's voice in the show. Uh, it's just such a such a unique voice. But one of the things you may may have noticed, may not have noticed. Again, it, it depends on, on how close you were to what was happening in the show um the cave that uh, that the cat of dreams lives in uh, you may have noticed that it had uh, wyvern griffin and the hippogriff outside the cave exactly like the castle of dreams yes. in the dreaming um which i really like that touch so you are in the land of dreams but this is how the cat sees their land of dreams the siamese cat that's how yeah. they see their land of dreams so this is something that you see throughout uh throughout the story of the sandman different people coming into the realm of dreams see that castle but see those uh those three creatures sitting atop it uh in different ways but they are always uh wyvern a griffin and a hippogriff so. excellent uh yeah, the only thing i have is i really liked when the prophet the siamese cat met lord uh kitty morpheus for the first time because there's that great thing where they they walk they kind of come together that they like they head on but don't sort of touch or or do that cat thing where they kind of stroke up mm. against one another um they almost like nose to nose and then like she just kind of sniffs up at him and mm. um, just sniffs but, the air yeah, yeah toward but towards him as mm. they just just check in and then kind yeah. of backed away again so i thought it was a really kind of a very cat thing, Absolutely. well, kind of uh, identified and, and put in the animation. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. Even even the moment where where a cat of dreams asks who Siamese cat is, and she goes, "I'm a cat. I have my own nature." <laughs> That's it. It's like there's nothing, no other detail behind it. It's just I'm a cat, and I'm here to ask you a question. It's no, it's no like I am this historical cat that has uh, that that owns the world or any kind of detail about who it is. 
just a cat and I'm entitled to whatever information I want. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yes, really well observed. Uh, overall, guys, what did you think of the episode? Let's give a, a quick rating on this one before we move on to Calliope. Uh, John, what did you think of uh, Dream of a Thousand Cats? I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, short, sharp and sweet. I loved the animation. Mm. Just kind of like the whole... You know, the, the thrust, just this nice little contained story. I give it four, uh, killer kitties out of five. Um, and yeah, no, I, I just really kind of, I, I love Neil Gaiman's short stories. Mm-hmm. So this is like a short story from The Sandman. Yes. And I always find them like, ju- they're really digestible. They're always, you know, just have that twist, whether it's a macabre one, just an unexpected twist, or even the obvious twist of something. As and I've always enjoyed his short stories, um, mm. where he's riffing off, um, you know, well-known um properties, effectively, whether that's children's stories, whether that's the Marvel universe, or or whatever, you know. Mm. Um, so I really enjoyed this, and I, I think, um, yeah, I, I just like how neil gaiman does that and so for me this was just a a perfect little um you know digestive to the the sandman series excellent excellent chris how about yourself what do you think of it absolutely loved it Mm -hmm. i'm not even let you finish that question (laughs) um for me it was the it's just one it's pretty much what john said it is a short contained narrative that is just fun if you like cats, you don't like cats. It's just even, it's fantastical in nature, but grounded in reality enough that, like, it is, it is a story that is started up by the cruelty of man, but then goes into the, the, the crazy fantastical world of the dreams and the nature of dreams and what can happen because of dreams. Uh, and then kind of pulls you back into, nope, it's just a kitten dreaming, having fun. Like it's just a nice beginning, middle, and end. Dreaming story. of killing humans, Chris. <laughs> hey, what? What? Who are we to uh, to question the dream of cats, yeah. our Lord and Saviors? Absolutely, yeah. that's that's one of the things I love about it as well because it does have a message of it. Don't treat cats like crap. You know that yeah. that is that is the message yeah. of it. It's not. It, it is uh, written very well like that. You know, it's kind of telling you how much. Uh, power humans have over the animals that are entrusted into our care so uh, it is telling you treat them well because uh, at least in this story it could be the ruination of all of us as humans if this story was true one of the f- most fun things i've seen on the internet after this episode came out was so many people who were cat owners with photos of their cats sitting in front of the tv staring wrapped to attention at these cats appearing on screen and all the responses from sandman fans going don't do it don't do it all it, all it takes is a thousand and we'll be returned to to them being in control i thought that was absolutely hilarious uh but i, I do love this as a concept uh you say neil gaiman's short stories are are fantastic they really are this one uh obviously being in the sandman universe is tied to the sandman but he has three collections of short stories which are all fantastic definitely go out and, and check those out one has the excellent black cat story uh which i constantly yes. am reminded of uh, as a black cat owner uh, all of us wonder why our cats have little uh bits taken out of their ears um <laughs> uh, every single black cat owner i know i think has a has a cat with a bit taken out of its ears and uh, neil gaiman posits that that's because they protect us from demons at night so uh, a great short story uh, definitely check that one out as well yes there you go that's my recommendation loved the story uh, loads of other options for uh, for great short stories as well uh, will we move on to the next episode then yes time to talk about the second part in chapter 11 calliope 
Richard, this is Calliope, the youngest of the nine sisters. She was Homer's muse, so she ought to be good enough for you. Calliope, I'm giving you to Richard. You're his now. But you said that you would free me before you died. Put not your trust in princes, my dear. Nor in an aging author who has never been what you might call a shining example when it came to keeping his word. But you promised. Writers are liars, my dear. Surely you've realized that by now. Oh, I love Derek Jacobi in a villainous role. He's so good. Oh, welcome. Yes, uh, talking about uh, Calliope, the second half of uh, Chapter 11 of Sandman. This episode was written by uh, Catherine Smith-McMullen, as I mentioned uh, just before on our Dream of a Thousand Cats uh, part of the podcast. And this episode was directed by Louise Hooper, who directed Chapter chapter 10 as well, the finale of uh, of Season 1. So um, a great director, great British director. So uh, great to have her on board for this Um more serious uh, episode, I suppose. Um, at least a lot of people will see it as more serious yeah, than uh, the Dream of a Thousand Cats. Um, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Calliope? Sure. Struggling author Richard Maddock visits Erasmus Fry, an elderly former writer who has imprisoned a Greek muse named Calliope in his house. Fry transfers ownership of Calliope to Maddock in exchange for the Trichino Bazaar. Back at Maddox's home, he discovers that violence is more efficient to receive the muse's inspiration. Despite his promises to release her after the publication of his sequel to his best-selling debut novel, he abuses her more than once, until it becomes obvious he never intends to let her go. Calliope sends a desperate plea to the fates, who are unable to act, before turning to Morpheus, her former husband, whom she had not seen since the tragic death of their son, Orpheus. Upon receiving her plea and learning what has happened to her, Morpheus becomes enraged and confronts Maddox. When he refuses to release Calliope, Morpheus punishes Maddox with an uncontrollable stream of ideas. Maddox soon frees Calliope, who asks Morpheus to lift his curse from Maddox. Morpheus does so, but Maddox finds himself unable to remember Calliope, Morpheus, or any of his ideas. Calliope vows to make sure that what happened to her doesn't happen to her sister, Muses. She and Morpheus share a tender goodbye as she expresses the hope that sometime in the future she can visit him in his realm and they'll be able to grieve their son properly. So another one-off story, uh, this one kind of taking place spread across the two time periods while... Um, Morpheus was captured and just after he's, uh, he's come back at the end of, uh, the end of the dollhouse, uh, arc of the story. So, um, so quite an interesting idea, right? Uh, that, oh, yeah. um, yes, that she has been captured and has no way out of this situation, but unable to call even if she wanted to, uh, to Morpheus because he's been trapped. Um, so interesting idea. Um, what do you think of this one overall, um, as an episode, John? Yeah. I mean, again, I, I thought this was, um, really good you know just the, that tinge of darkness um throughout this mm. uh with erasmus fry but also then with richard maddox and again it's interesting it's that over time perspective that you know despite the progress of time uh, and potentially society mm-hmm. here is here are two men that are doing the same thing to a, a woman yeah. um and uh you know in terms of the abuse 
and effectively restraining her against her will as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, it, it, it in that sense is a real serious message um, sort of tinged with Calliope's realization that vengeance um, isn't something that she sh- wants to do because mm-hmm. It will eat her more than uh, whether it's justified or, or not towards Richard Maddock yeah. uh, here. So I, I, this was really good, um, you know, and getting the backstory a bit more of this relationship between Calliope and Morpheus as well, mm. which uh, sounds intriguing. Yeah, exactly. Yep. This this tease uh, of, of this relationship yeah. that didn't seem to end well, but at least they're beginning to talk again. Yes, yeah. Another kind of nod as well. You know, earlier on in the season, we saw that moment where um, Morpheus meets another one of the relationships that he's had before with Nada, uh, and again, teased what happened with their relationship here with Calliope, uh, teased what happened with their relationship, something to, another story to tell in the future, I guess. Uh, Chris, how about you? What do you think um, of this episode and this uh, translation? I didn't think they'd do it. Right. I honestly did not think they would do this based on what it is discussing, which is the for power men will do anything. Mm. It is very much a blatant um, and obvious tale of if no matter the age, no matter the man, um, if you put power uh, in front of a man, power will corrupt absolutely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, or absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if you give a man the power to be inspired to write anything and especially with the current kind of him uh, in this case Richard Maddock being failing feeling and then you see you do even get one quick scene where he is going down the internet rabbit rabbit hole of like looking at his Twitter looking at his Instagram looking at his like reviews and it's all starting to trend towards negative Mm -hmm. that will drive a man to do anything yeah yeah, he's very, uh, he's very uh, desperate at the opening of this episode that he set it up quite yes. well. And yeah. and again, uh, you know, just to come back to the original comic book that this is all taken from, line after line uh, is taken directly from the comic here. There's the, the only updation really of it is, you know, again, as, as Chris said, him going onto the internet and seeing those internet reviews and, and how he's being seen in the world. That's not there, but Maddock himself is as desperate in the comic books at that point uh, as he is uh, on the TV show. Here. Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, also from his agent and the publisher, yeah. you know, yeah, he's nine months, he's got the money. That's been nine months overdue since he, uh, since he was supposed to deliver the book and he hasn't written one word of it other than his name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So the only bit I have, and I, I'm going to ask this question, they do not directly say what he does mm-hmm. or what these men do to the muse. Yeah. Um, and I think they make it just obvious enough. Yeah. I think. But I, I, I'm wondering if to show the, the level of monster that these men become, does, I'm not saying show it, of course. I'm saying more, not because that's Game of Thrones. That's not <laughs> the Sandman. Um, do they, would, did they need to be a bit more direct? Because they were very direct in the comic books. They were, yes, yes. So one of the big changes we'll, we'll talk about it. You know, one of the big changes really is when uh, when Maddox picks up Calliope from Erasmus Fry and brings her home. The comic has a specific line in it that says he brings her home, and the first thing he does is rapes her. He takes that guidance directly from Erasmus Fry that says you can woo them. That's what we. That's what you're supposed to do. But I've always found forcing them is the way to get what you want. 
and he takes her home and forces himself on her. Um, yeah. Here, I suppose the context that they've added to this episode is that he realizes how bad a thing it is, and they make it clear that it's that it is a really bad thing that Richard Maddock is doing. He feels he's pushed to this level because she's not giving up her gift to him. Um, it almost makes Richard Maddox a worse person in the TV show because in the comic, he doesn't even think about it. He's, he's the one that says she's thousands of years old. She's not even a human. Uh, in the comic, that's not coming from Erasmus Fry. He treats her like she's nothing in the comic, but here, because he knows what he's doing and he even had an option. Calliope gives him an option. She yeah. says, let me go free. And then I will make a decision as to whether to help you or not. She's amused. She's supposed to inspire people that she chooses to inspire. She gives him that option and Maddox says no. Maddox, Maddox still locks her inside the room. Well, that's what I thought was, you know, just really one of the kind of superb parts about this, the, the two things. It's that you have this back and forth between Richard Maddox and Calliope where, you know, set me free she's asking and his justification for locking her up and restricting her liberty and freedom mm. is because he poses you know you think i'm free with all this pressure with you know he feels locked up as well and that somehow justifies him to be able to do the same to her mm -hmm. that she needs to be um treated in the same way as he feels he is rather than saying well you know i need to sort out my own mess yeah. so that aspect i think is really good and i think as well like you say um was the big thing i got she actually tells him how he will get inspiration from her and other muses without locking her up or all the abuse yeah. it's let me free and you know, pray to the muses, offer that devotion for inspiration, mm -hmm. and um, we will choose whether to share the gifts or not. Um, but instead, we have um, Richard resorting to um, the abuse, the violence, um, and I, I think as well, it, it's beyond the the. Um, you know, I think you were saying like in the comics, it's it, he rapes her. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is also about effectively containment. I, I can't remember the legal word, um, but you know, it, it's about forced imprisonment effectively. As mm -hmm. more, it, it's not just the the raping; it, it's the abuse of that, it's the violence of that, but mm -hmm. it's also the constraining of this woman. In, yeah. in in the room as much abuse even if he even if there was no rape that in and of itself you know um, mm -hmm. and i think it's just you know it's the controlling it, it yeah. it's yeah. The, the control here and uh, i just thought it was really well done you know in a sense this this whole story when i first came into it i just i thought it was to do with effectively writer's block yeah yeah. <laughs> and you know that dare I say it almost you know Neil Gaiman like you said previously writing about writers and yeah. and the things that they go through uh, and mm -hmm. then you know it, it takes on this much darker meaning but set within this fantastical world of Greek muses yeah. you know Lord Morpheus uh, and the fates and and strange um sort of gifts such as the trachino uh bazaar or from i mean Sorry. that that was just mm. 
Not entirely sure why Erasmus Fry wanted or was looking for that, other than I think it was like almost like a lucky charm, I guess. Uh, yeah, he describes it as having some properties or some ancient yeah. properties. He seems to be a collector now. He's left all alone um, on his own with nobody to talk to. So he seems to have kind of turned himself into this creator. We hear later um, that because he hasn't gotten his fame back, he kills himself. Um, so Erasmus yeah. Fry has has, uh, has taken his own life because, well, Richard Maddock actually didn't do the only thing he said he would try and do, which would get, which was get Erasmus Fry's uh, book back into publication. Um I do think this is Neil Gaiman writing about writer's block, though. I think that is the starting point that he got from. And I do love that if you think about just the arc of what happens to the authors here, he gives you the whole story of what could happen. So when you're in writer's block, you have all the pressure that you need to get this done. If you force yourself over writer's block, and in this case, you know, get Calliope to give you the inspiration or you steal inspiration from somewhere effectively is, is, is the concept you may get a couple of books out of it, but eventually, no matter how much inspiration you've taken from muses, you will go out of fashion and people will stop reading your books. That's kind of the whole artist's journey here that Neil Gaiman uh, has given you with this uh, with this story, which I think is really interesting as an idea. If you if you become popular, it's never it's never going to last forever eternally. Every single author has gone out of fashion at some point and stop and their books stopped being published. So, uh, so he does have that that kind of overarching author's journey in there as well. So yes, yeah. Um, bringing it back on the updated kind of abuse discussion. The 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 reason I I found it this one a bit worse was just the subtleness, the subtlety of. Um, what was being described. Mm. So essentially, when he sits down with his writer's block, he can't write anything. He goes up to the, um, he goes up to the, uh, room. Mm -hmm. He closes the door. You hear questions. He comes down and his shirts, he's disheveled, but you have a line, a scratch, a a claw mark from her, from her fingernails across his face. And it was a single one with blood. Mm-hmm. And that is more telling. And it's just one of the most, it's a, such a, if you had have had him shown her battered and bruised, yeah. and like this is, for some reason, this is more disturbing because it just shows the callousness of he then literally doesn't even, he barely gets stressed. He yeah. just goes straight down to the computer, starts writing, doesn't clean up his blood, yeah. doesn't redo his shirt. He just then and starts drinking and, Typing yeah. away. Yeah. Well, that's it's it. just yeah. so disturbing in that. Sense. Exactly, and I mean, even with Erasmus Fry, I mean, first off, like I absolutely adore Derek Jacobi mm-hmm. uh, as an actor. I really just have always loved how he j- just does his work, mm-hmm. even if I'm not necessarily into the particular TV show or, mm-hmm. or or movie that he's been in. I just really like the gravitas and, and just how he. He does it. And I think here in Erasmus Fry as well, it's not only, you know, as I say, you, you have this abuse by men over time here now aged, but has done exactly what Richard Maddox is doing. And it's like, even though she has inspired him to all these great works, mm-hmm. he's completely resentful of her uh, in mm-hmm. the sense that because he knows the truth, that it's the issues with him. And she's the one that's dug him out of it and yep. um, completely re- resentful. But as well, I just love that again, that, that, that dialogue from him, um, about that we, 
you have at the start of the the little snippet from the episode where mm-hmm. he says, you know, writers are liars. Yeah. Um, you should know this by now, effectively as a muse, you know. And um, th- this notion that you know works of fiction, it is lies on a page. Effectively, <laughs> it's as much yeah. that as as about him lying to Calliope with the promises that you know if you do this one once off, then I'll let you go. And again, the same that mm-hmm. comes from and how it it echoes over time mm-hmm. but from. Erasmus Fry through Sir Richard Maddox. It's yeah. the same kind of thing. It's inadequate, obnoxious, awful men that resent women for some crazy reason. Yeah. You're here to inspire me, not for your own agency, yeah. effectively. Yes. And like yeah, this, pure out and yeah. out misogyny. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really, a really powerful story here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, quickly moving it on to Calliope herself. So, uh, Melissa Thanthi Mahout. Um, I, I've loved this actress for years. Right. She plays, um, Cassandra. Uh, she was a voice actor, uh, in video games. She plays Cassandra in, um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is this powerful, mm-hmm. strong woman, um, in historical history. And yep. if you've played Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. um, you'll know, um, she just plays this Greek badass so well Mm -hmm. and i followed kind of partially of her career kind of on this so when i saw she was doing this i was so happy just a a crazy aside she is in meg 2 oh right um if any of you remember it's a really cheesy (laughs) really cheesy sci-fi about a megalodon Mm -hmm. shark it is so bad, but this is a sequel. It got a sequel, oh and she's in gosh. it, and it's going to be terrible and good at the same time. Yeah. I really? can't wait. <laughs> I saw the first one, yes. and I had no idea there was a sequel. Yeah, it's really. coming. It's ah, in post-production okay. right now. Oh, it, of course. Uh, some of our biggest films that we ever wanted don't get sequels, but The Meg gets a sequel. It's going to be great. Um, anyway, I absolutely love that she is one of the nine muses and her mothers are the fates. Mm-hmm. So we meet the fates again in this. Yes. And you see her talking to their daughter and they're very direct, even though one is as young or younger than her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just bringing in that fantastical element yeah. where the room starts to shift mm-hmm. it from being the room that we were set into this wider stage with, I'm assuming Greek or uh, mm-hmm. kind of, kind of landscape all over it yeah and it's just beautiful to watch and it's a scene and then you do then get these tidbits of that her and morpheus have a son orpheus mm-hmm. and like what happened to that kid we know potentially that it's dead is it in hell where like all these questions start right mm-hmm. and then she just has this beautiful kind of pet name which i'm not i can't even pronounce because i have no greek in me <laughs> um but it's just it begins with a no and it's just she says it's such with at parts with disdain and not even hate, but just this kind of like love lorn and it's delivered that way. And mm. then at the end it's delivered with pure, um, like missing. I, I can't even put, kind of put a thing. It's just delivered in a way. It's just like there's thankfulness and it's just like, maybe there is a future with these two. Yes. Um, yes. Well, there was certainly a past yet. There were husband and wife, uh, on yeah. Iris and, uh, and Calliope. Um, they had a child and the child is dead. Yes. That's, that's all, uh, all there. Um, but yeah, I think we will see that story. Uh, that is a, an issue of the comic book. If you, if you do want to read the story, there is, there is an issue of comic book dedicated to the story of, uh, Orpheus. Um, 
But there is that comment from her where Calliope says, he hates me and I have complete disdain for him for what happened to our child. Um, yeah. So yeah. because the child is dead, both of them blame each other and that broke them apart yeah. because they both thought they both should be able to save a child. He's the Lord of the dream of dreams mm. and she's one of the, one of the fates. If they can't keep their child alive, who can is kind of the, the idea. So they yeah. both blamed each other. Um, but the heartbreaking nature of what the fates are saying to her, she's called out to them having been in captivity now for 60, 70 years. Um, and they're telling her, well, they, he did, he did exactly the things that we, that we say in our rules and laws that, uh, that can be done to, uh, to capture you. So therefore, uh, you're, you're stuck there. Like that's, that's a really, really difficult moment. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I actually really enjoyed just how she goes to the fates who are effectively her mothers, mm-hmm. um, and to, you know, to try and escape to see what it is. And they're effectively, you know, their namesake. Well, this is the, this is your fate yeah. because all the rules or all, all the boxes were ticked, mm-hmm. you know, all the T's, um, were, were teed off and the, the, the I's dotted and all this. <laughs> it, like, yes, it's totally her fate as far as the fates see it because yeah. there was nothing done that was, that was wrong. I mean, they hint, well, you could try Morpheus, you know, the, the, the endless one yes. of the endless, because again, it's almost a little nod to American gods, this idea that a lot of the gods have been lost and mm-hmm. so on or, or weakened in, in this modern world. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, it also, the, is, the endless are around, but they're having their own problems. Yeah, I say, which again yeah. is a reference to this previous it, ten episode season. But so, to yeah. me as well, it's also that reflection, not just of women, but of men that accept what happens in abuse circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, or it, it, it's the idea, like say, well, you know, forced marriages, or you know, the, this idea of being married off to, you know, like you would have had in Victorian times. It was mm-hmm. like, that was the accepted practice. Therefore, it was fine. Uh, and women um, have fought to not have forced marriages, you know, mm-hmm. or dowries or this kind of trading almost of women for family wealth or yeah. sort of improving their station and, and that you choose who you spend your, your, your life with. Or, or not. And so that was the, that was really the interesting reflection I thought around fates was, you know, in this fantastical world or reflecting people in society ultimately mm-hmm. that will simply go, well, they deserved it or, well, there were no rules broken. So why is this a problem? And so on. And yeah. that, that's the, that's the excellent thing that Gaiman does here with the fates and mm. effectively connecting it, as I say, to their namesake in that they believe in fate. So yeah. it, it's a very channeled view mm. of how someone lives their lives and, yeah. and ultimately spurs her on in her desperation to approach Morpheus despite this, um, troubled history, um, that they've had. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think this is 
why a lot of people love the character Morpheus. We saw the negative sides of Morpheus throughout the series of Sandman. He's a cool character, don't get me wrong, but there's lots of negatives about him. And he, but he, by the end of the series, he's learned a lot about who he is. And here, his treatment of Calliope, I think, is so well realized, so well brought to the screen by Tom Sturridge. This, the softness and how polite he is with dealing with Calliope after all that she's gone through. Again, if you remember the timing of this, it's a couple of years after he's been imprisoned for a hundred years and she apologizes to him or or says how much she's uh, hurt for him. And he goes, don't even worry about it. My suffering is nothing compared to what you've suffered through. The reason why he stayed away from her was because he thought she didn't want him near her. And he took that as, well, if you don't want me near, near you, I'm away. The minute she called for him, he came. Um, that is, that's Morpheus. That is who he is. He still absolutely loves her, but is willing to be pushed away by her if that's what she chooses. So, uh, I, I like how they've, uh, how they've put this character on screen here in this, in this moment, because it shows another side of the character Morpheus, how caring he is. The punishment he wants to deal out to Richard again, he will only do it if he gets the go ahead from Calliope. Um, she's kind of going, well, there's no punishment at all that would um, would punish him for what he's done to me. There's nothing at all that he could do. But effectively, Morpheus visits the punishment of having unlimited ideas so that he will release Calliope. And once he does, Calliope chooses to uh, to take away that punishment effectively. So, um, so I, I love that. He's not being vengeful. He's using what he can to help her be free because she can only be free if he says the words you're free effectively. Yeah, so, uh, and he can't specifically tell him to do that. So he uses what he can to drive him to uh, free Calliope and then turns it off effectively. Yeah. Well, the punishment's excellent because it is exactly what Richard Maddock is looking for mm-hmm. is ideas. Yeah. But he puts them to absolute excess. Or as he says, if ideas are what you want, you'll have them in abundance. Mm-hmm. And it effectively drives him, uh, loopers, uh, with the amount of ideas yes. sort of just flooding into his brain. I love the, the idea of the, um, the were goldfish. Um, <laughs> and I really enjoy the moon the, comes out, the goldfish turns into a, wolf. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I really like the idea as well of someone being given a lost library card from the ancient library of Alexandria. I yep. thought that would be like a really cool story. Um, it felt really Neil Gaiman, uh, in that sense. Yeah. And, um, if you want the full list, go, go read issue 17 of, uh, of, Sandman has got the full list of everything, all yeah. the ideas that uh, that Richard Maddox comes up with. Uh, there's some really interesting ones in there as well. And try and read that wall uh, that he writes out all of the ideas in blood because he has no pen. Uh, try and read some of the things he's written on the wall there. There's some uh, some interesting ones too. It's a, a really brutal moment. Again, it is. It showing is. how far it goes uh, when he uses his own fingers to write in blood on the wall. Um but an apt punishment for him. Uh, the wrap-up of it, uh, of the episode, is that Calliope will now use her gifts to inspire a change in humanity, to inspire a change in those rules, effectively, so that this can't happen again ever to any of the muses. Um, why write them so that people can uh, can take uh, take any of them captive? So, uh, which I which I like. I like that there's a that bit of inspiration for yeah. her, um, and that she's going to drive humans to be better. Um, 
And finally, we get that little discussion between the two of them. She wants to uh, hopefully meet up with Morpheus once again, but he doesn't think uh, that would be a good idea for the two of them. And they want she wants to mourn their son, but uh, he doesn't feel that would be a good idea for the two of them because well, of not that. at this moment, uh, yeah, yeah, because exactly. that break in their that's relationship. That's the that's mm-hmm. the bit where they added. I was like, ooh, they're gonna they're gonna change bits. Um, for me, the, the the reason I love this is it sets a path for a potential sequel, which we never got. They could write an original sequel of sorts to this we mm. there is parts of the comic book this that they can take there's this they, they talk about the story of Orpheus they, they there is meetings again in the future mm-hmm. but they could quite easily build on bridges here their own kind of next steps um overall what I love about this is it shows from episode one to episode 11 the growth of Morpheus, mm-hmm. yeah. as you say, it's literally he starts as this. He just has consistent disdain in his heart, yeah. um, and then it gets even worse with his imprisonment, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and then towards the end of about the very like you know, this is set slightly after episode ten. Yeah, it is essentially him showing that he is not just with humans, but he's willing to show empathy to everything. He he is just growing as a character. Mm-hmm. That's what you want in all your kind of good narratives. Um, so just this alone shows, like, yeah, I just I, I I can't speak more highly of this episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, one of those uh, episodes where we don't see a lot of Morpheus uh, in either of the two stories, but when yeah. he is there, he makes a really big impact, which is yeah, fundamentally his character in the comic books. And I mean, it's ultimately, you know, it's this. At least for these two episodes as well, it's interesting because, you know, you have the cruelty of man or humans towards animals with the, the kittens. And mm-hmm. here it's cruelty of man to other humans mm-hmm. and in particular to, to women yeah. uh, for this story. So I think these two episodes do have a common kind of thread that runs through yeah. them um, in terms of why um the in, you know in the case of the Siamese cat in the case of uh, Calliope you know seek out uh Lord Morpheus for various things mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely Agreed. um just have one note before we uh, before we close it out um we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier on that Calliope gave Richard a way out uh one of the things that's so um affecting I suppose about what they've done here Richard and Erasmus is they've taken one of the muses off the table and use them as their own muse. They've used them as this personal thing to benefit them, to drive their own personal inspiration. And the idea of the muses is that they are there to inspire humanity. And because she's been off the table now for a 100 years, being forced to inspire these two people only to write books, her abilities, her what, what she's actually supposed to uh, to be for, has been lost to the world. So it's it's this idea that they're saying, well, you must inspire me and me only. It's that possessive concept as well as yeah. what they're doing to make her inspire them. It's it's that whole thing together that's that makes them such horrible people um in in the world and deserving of every punishment that they get. Um because as the muses, she would have had her own ability to choose who deserves the gift of inspiration. And neither of these people should have deserved that, right? Uh, yeah, given given exactly. who they are. Overall, uh, what, what's your final thoughts on the episode? John, what do you think of the episode overall? What's yeah, your I mean, you know, it really um, 
kind of dark and bleak in many respects mm. uh this this part of of chapter 11 uh, but i give i thought it was really powerful i give it four and a half writers wrongs out of five and mm. um, you know it, it to me it's you know this this notion of the the abusing defiling nature of of men to women and it, it looks at it across time but even like in terms of the fates those people whether they're men or women that don't intervene to try and mm-hmm. rectify it but here then there are the people to to rectify it so it, it it's this microcosm and but just on you know as i say with greek fates with the lord of dreams mm-hmm. with um all all the you know with the fates with these um fantastical myth myths um that we have so i i thought this was really really good you know i thought derek jacoby was superb mm-hmm. doing his evil turn uh similarly uh seeing arthur darville as well as richard maddock really good i, yeah. I liked the sense that he gave to that character and um, you know in, in many respects starting off almost sympathetic because he's got writer's block but then how he uh, chooses to and the decisions he makes to unlock that block um yeah. is you know he deserves that um apt punishment of just a stream and flood of ideas um that he can't control so this this to me was just really um an, an excellent uh little piece so yeah four and a half writer's wrongs out of five Chris, for me, this I can't say much more of why I enjoy it. The actors, the actresses, the the storyline. I I think I felt that the the subtlety, on in comparison to some of the the original on the abuse, I thought it, on first viewing I was a bit miffed at because I was like, they were almost, I was going to say kind of they were just washing away the abuse a bit, but actually upon. The second viewing, I was like, no, it's a bit more, it's subtle for a reason, mm-hmm. um, in that, that they kind of take it, it, it's that, it's the horror of the unseen, if to a degree. So like, you know, when we talk about horror films, it's, Shadow is more, sometimes more scary mm-hmm. than the actual beast itself. This was actually that for me. Um, I, again, like how they incorporate it into the overall mythos of what we are discussing what we are, um, the, the, the Sandman itself, how, and I love that it's a bonus episode. Yeah. It's, you can, like, you could slot this in. I would, it's good where it is, but you could slot it in kind of as a, uh, as a digestive somewhere through, uh, just to take that break. I don't know why you take an abuse kind of mini break, but sure, it's a good story too. Yeah. I think it's important that it happens here because it's, it's after, um, Morpheus has learned who he yes. is um, at yeah. the end at the end of the doll's house, which is why it makes sense in uh, in the comics to to be la- to land right here. I think the the dream of a thousand cats you could probably put yeah. uh, put somewhere in in the middle of the of the season um, at some point, but this one really is the culmination of where he has he has gotten to. We we saw at the end of the season him uh, going off to become the creator of dreams and nightmares again, uh, which he was before. So he's back to uh, learning everything, bringing it on board. Um, whereas here we see him actually reaching out to uh, to his past and and acknowledging that he needs to change. So, uh, so, so you I, could I do, do a Dream of Thousand Cats as episodes 
5.5 and mm. this is still episode 10.5 exactly i think that's a yeah. good way of doing it yeah uh, speaking of uh i just i didn't get to say it galt is re- i'm really happy with galt is taken back and given a new life as a dream it was that, very nice I didn't get to say that, that very was, happy on that one yeah that was fabulous in episode 10 wasn't it really yes. really good derek what did you think of this calliope i love the translation of this i thought this was uh actually worked probably uh better um in live action um than it did in the comic you could easily have taken the comic and done it live and it would have just felt exploitative uh in live action in the comic book it's it's uh it's very clear exactly what's going on and the abuse that's happening to calliope here it's not just the abuse it's what these men who are aware of what they're doing are doing to this woman uh to get yeah. what they want and as you say john the at the addition of uh that the people that allow this thing to go on in society is is uh, is, is interesting as well we yeah. the, the fates have exactly the same purpose in the book but it actually comes across very well uh, in the episode and i think that's a testimony to the writer of the episode and the and the actors and director involved that are able to bring this to life as yeah. being something massively brutal then uh, well yeah it, 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 it's you know in the case of um erasmus fry and um with richard maddox it, mm. it's forced imprisonment effectively yeah which i know like the interesting thing is here in ireland that's just recently gone on the statute book there in terms of a a, you know range of different abuses that Mm -hmm. one person can do to another yeah um and but it's also then with the fates it's the societal imprisonment through actually just the laws and the rules that are acceptable at the time or what's the, the just the general cultural aspect of what they feel is acceptable yeah. as well that oh you've it, reached out for help oh well the law say that he's done nothing yeah. wrong here so it's so fine what, yeah like, what we're wow. going to do exactly yeah. yeah um and that's the other side of this uh, imprisonment here yeah. so yeah really good yeah a tough episode but i think it's a really well put together episode so so certainly uh, a, a great entry into the end of sandman season one we've gotten to the end of our coverage of the sandman season one and unfortunately, even after taking this long to get through it, that final episode came out on the 19th of August, and we're here on the 2nd of October, we still don't have confirmation that there is going to be a season two of Sandman. Um, that's a real shame uh, at this stage, you would expect, given how much this show has loved, the reviews have been and been through the roof, there's been a massive amount of viewership on Netflix uh, over the course of the last uh, the last eight or nine weeks uh, since the episodes were released. So a real shame that we don't have a second season. I'll say two things, though. I think this has been adapted way better than I ever thought it could have been. Uh, this version of what's, what's been brought to screen is absolutely fantastic. If we never get a second season, at least we got an amazingly adapted first season of the show. But I am hoping we will get a second season. Yeah. there's uh, So we're recording this in the first week in October, as you said. There's... a Typically, one more to them, which is the kind of conference, not conference, but it's it's like the 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 vid- on demand video that they do, yeah, with some where they do some announcements. They mm-hmm. previously just did the Witcher one, which I thought they might in that one. I thought they were going to announce Sandman too, yeah, they haven't. So mm-hmm. either we'll get one, we'll get we're due one more to them at the end of the year, before the end of the year. So. It might be there. This is the Netflix fan festival, just in case uh, you don't. You, you can't. Sorry, better way of saying it. Tadum. Tadum. <laughs> it's I based on. The they literally it, yeah. they call, it's based on the noise they yeah. make on Netflix. Um, 
is one more due at the end of the year, or they'll just do a press release, and that will be it. It will be a press release with a quote from Neil Gaiman, a quote from one or two of the actors, and probably the showrunner. I think it will go into next year now. I think we won't get any, because we are so far now, it will either be a, a stealth like slow news day, let's stealth drop this. Or yeah. sorry, on a very packed news day, let's stealth drop this as it's not getting a second season. Or mm-hmm. uh it will be an announcement next year once they've probably started pre production well, they've already probably if they did get renewed, they've already started pre production and they'll announce it when it's closer to production mm-hmm. when they start filming and all that type of thing and you can't hide it as much uh due to castings and things like that. Um, so I, I think we're now in a Schrodinger's Sandman for the, at least a couple of months. Yeah. It's unusual because Netflix are usually very big at, at, uh, at sharing their successes. Um, you mentioned to Dom the fan festival, uh, Sandman was the only premium show on Netflix that did not have any presence at all in their two day to Dom event a, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, that was only like two or three weeks ago. They literally had zero presence no members of the cast no neil gaiman nobody behind the scenes no even retrospective look back at this series that has been number one across the netflix charts uh according to according to all the streaming ratings so uh, that is conspicuous that is uh, a sign i think that potentially this may be going over to prime video if it is getting a second season that is not staying with netflix uh yeah again this one is a warner brothers production yeah. as well so um, we, we, if you are anyway clued into what is going on there, we have lost shows, but there's been a number of shows that have come to HBO, gone from HBO, um, films that have been cancelled, shows that have been cancelled that are well into production. Um, so there probably is a lot of, this is the business side of what's going on, I think. Discussions are being had, contracts are being signed or annulled, uh, and this is the, 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 the downside of, mm-hmm. um, living in a capitalistic entertainment world. Um, but let's see. I, I think it's going to be a couple of months. But one last positive uh, before we move on. Uh, New York Comic Con's taking place next week. Um, Neil Gaiman's going to be there promoting Good Omens uh, Season 2. Uh, confirmed Tom Sturridge, um, Mason Alexander Park, and Boyd Holbrook, uh, who played uh, Corinthian um, and Desire, uh, respectively. All three of them are going to be at New York Comic Con for the weekend. No panels assigned. They're there to sign photos and, and have uh, sessions with fans. But Neil Gaiman will be there for Good Omens. Uh, I wonder will they will they take uh, the stage at uh, at New York Comic Con? That has happened on many many occasions throughout the history of uh, of New York Comic Con. People appearing out of nowhere and having, giving surprise announcements. I think George Clooney was there uh, at one point as as the biggest surprise guest that uh, that they yes. had uh, at one of the shows we were at. Um, so interesting that three members of the cast of Sandman are going to be at New York Comic Con along yeah. with the creator um, who will be there to, to promote Good Omen season two. I wonder, will they have an impromptu panel, even a retrospective panel about season one of, uh, of Sandman? We might get uh, some kind of nod. It's just a point that they may make an announcement. Yeah. Uh, but we're hopeful. We're hopeful we're going to see more Sandman. Uh, 
But let's go on to some feedback. Let's go on to some thoughts from our wonderful fellow dreamers about what they thought about this bonus episode. Uh, first up, we got an email in from Coffee and Vodka who says, Greetings, fellow dream-determined defenders. The connective tissue of the Dream of a Thousand Cats and Calliope is man's cruelty, his cold sense of privilege in determining reality around himself and his own desires. It makes sense that these stories were connected in the creative team's series pitch. That they were set after the events of the series itself was a nice coincidence to the accidental release and its timing. Sandra O's voice bereaved feline mother and Melisanti Mahut's victimized muse portrayals were empathetically realized. The brick being dropped into that bag of mewing kittens and implied brutal rape of Calliope seems impossible to remove, remove from memory. In many ways, as if not more affecting than the sound of her wings, Dream's reaction to Calliope's plight showcased his newer, kinder and more forgiven nature brought about during his season one journey. Also, it was nice to get a reference to their son Orpheus and his impact on Morpheus' storyline this early in the run, but best not to get ahead of ourselves. Five Alzheimer authors, feral felines, and unexpected episodes out of five. Peace and take care. Coffee and vodka. Thanks, coffee and vodka. Um, completely a- a- agree around, you know, that this connective tissue. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing as well, I didn't say it there when we were uh, just doing a roundup of Calliope, but, you know, uh, Melisanthi Mahouts, um, it, it's that stoic, that sort of, you know, it's almost like a swan. It's like this unbearable awfulness happening to her and yet um, has the grace that, yes, a punishment or justice needs to be had, but it it, it is, it can't be vengeance or revenge um it because that effectively translates their awfulness their evil onto her ultimately mm-hmm. uh, and so th- this this kind of uh poised clearness as to what they're doing is wrong what they can do to make it right all the way through is really really powerful and, and really strong it shows the strength of calliope yeah despite this degradation that's happening to her. So, you know, I, I think um, yeah. Mahut's sort of portrayal of that is just brilliant. class. Yeah. yeah, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, great thoughts, Coffee and Vodka. He does mention one thing that we didn't uh, we didn't talk about, the accidental release uh, of this episode and its oh, timing. Yeah. Um, we forgot to talk about this. I remember uh, having the conversation with Chris when we had uh, when we were talking about Sandman. Um, there is a... A, a review show uh, hosted by Trixie Mattel and uh, and uh, Katja, two drag queens from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, who do official reviews for Netflix. They were clearly given all 11 episodes of The Sad Man Show to review, and unfortunately, uh, they did a review of uh, Dream of a Thousand Cats and Calliope, <laughs> awesome. with images from the episode proving that they were real. They weren't just speculative uh, ideas that they had that this might be coming to Sandman and put the video out on their channel. Uh, it was promptly removed within about 10 minutes uh, when Netflix got hold of it. But that was four days before the episode appeared on Netflix. <laughs> and so uh, we have two wonderful drag queens to thank uh, for this episode coming out on the 19th of August. I wonder when it might have been released. <laughs> yeah, well, it might have been true, their Halloween actually. episode. They might have suddenly been dropping it in October or something. Uh, but I think we, we may have Trixie Mattel and Katja to thank for this episode coming out so quickly after the first season. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, ladies. And thank you, Coffee and Vodka, uh, as well. Absolutely. We also got an email in from Kate who says... 
Hello. I have been enjoying the Sandman podcast a lot and actually found out about it from your Umbrella Academy podcast, which I also enjoyed. And so when you mentioned you also had a Sandman podcast, I was in. Mm -hmm. Good stuff, Kate. Uh, At the end of the first episode, I actually said, wow, out loud. Not all of your episodes have been released yet, and so you may have already addressed this, but I was wondering if when there was a reference to the family man collector at the serial convention, if that was actually Jed's foster dad and he couldn't make it because the Corinthian killed him. Speaking of the serial convention, I like how it reminded me of Roald Dahl's The Witches and their hotel convention and the feeling of dread that was invoked. Although The Witches is, of course, a kid's book, when I think about it, it's kind of just as messed up. The Witches, in their way, are also serial killers. Anyway, thank you for the podcast and keep up the good work. Sincerely, Kate in San Francisco. Thanks so much, Kate. Yeah, I think the parallels of Roald Dahl's The Witches and their hotel convention and, you know, their kidnapping and uh, eating of children uh-huh. uh, is exactly like the serial convention in, in that sense. So, yeah. it, you know, there's there's certainly parallels there. And, I mean, isn't it just fantastic that Roald Dahl could always get this um, darkness into children's books? You know, we there's a lot, a, a lot of the time we try and, prov- you know, try and sort of withdraw children from certain um horrors in a way and and yet some of my favorite children's books even if it's just like the nursery rhymes you think of red riding hood you think you know you think of all these different tales there's there's also a learning in that you know don't don't go to hotels and speak to strangers well, effectively. Absolutely. Not certainly witch strangers, because yeah. they, you know, they 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 like to boil the the children alive and and feed mm. on them to keep them don't young. Stick, right? And don't stick your hands in the fire. You get that from a story. You certainly don't. Not every child is going to stick their hand in a fire. They oh, get yeah. that from stories. You didn't do so, that. Yeah, oh. like the, yeah. It's like the Hansel and Gretel. You know. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely love the parallels uh, yeah. that you've you've made the. A really good theory on the on the family man as well, uh, Case. That's a that's a really interesting theory. Uh, actually, there there is a connection there. In DC Comics, the family man was a character in Constantine Comics, um, and uh, had been killed by Constantine about a month before that issue came out. So that's the reason why he can't appear at the serial killer convention. He's actually a DC Comics character who was killed by John Constantine. There you go. There you go. Uh, so good catch. I didn't. Uh, I didn't even think about mentioning it uh, on the episode itself. Uh, but that's that's how it was connected into other DC comics at the time. Thank you so much, Kate, and thank you for uh, calling at the Umbrella Academy. I hope you enjoyed the last season too. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving over to Facebook, we had some feedback from Donald Dennis, who had this to say: Having now watched them, I like them both. I don't know that either of the stories was better done here than in the comics, but they were a nice treat at the end of a work week. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely a nice treat. Definitely. Personally, I, I, I think probably slightly better done than the comics, but again, preferences, taste, and everyone has a different taste. Mm. That's the fair bits to it. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Calliope better on the show, uh, Dream of a Thousand Cats, probably better in the comic. Um, but, yeah. But either, either way. Uh, I, could, I, I, could, I could watch I, both. You could have done motion that comic, uh, and I think it would have been just as good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a it's a hard one. Yeah. Um, I have my imagination is pretty good for comic <laughs> books. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, Donald. Yeah, thanks, thanks Donald. Donald. Next up, and finally, we have a piece of feedback from Doctor Bob Phillips, who said the cats were cute, 
But to have three quarters of an hour with the war master and evil worry was a delight. <laughs> Main learning point pronounced Calliope, not Calliope. Second learning point check the medical student's bag for surgical placements. <laughs> Tertiary learning point if I ever need an example of hypnomania, come back to this. Well, there's some learnings, Dr. Bob. Definitely. Certainly. Uh, Calliope all the way, Calliope. Maybe not. I, I think dodgy medical students need to have their bags checked be- before uh, they leave um, <laughs> the the lecture theatre, or even if, I guess, maybe if they're doing actual autopsy stuff. Definitely. Yes. Certainly Never some of the tales a I've heard. <laughs> yes. Dr. Okay. Bob went on to say, particularly like the way that Maddox's character couldn't initially use the lectern microphone properly and was basically a three-finger typist. Mm-hmm. And the strong eyeliner game for Onerius, a.k.a. Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Dr. Bob. Yeah, the eyeliner game is on point. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he, he needs like, to mix what, it what up a bit. What do you expect when there's just some amazing makeup and uh, kind of character design in this show? I think he needs a deep sort of red on his <laughs> eyeliner game, though, to be honest. I really do. Yeah. It would go with his ruby much better. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, and I also, yeah, again, about the realism of the show, uh, how great it is that uh, Maddox can't use the microphone and also as a really bad typist, even though he's supposed to be this world-renowned author. <laughs> That's a good a good touch of realism there as well. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Dr. Bob, for your thoughts. And thanks, everybody, for sharing your thoughts about the Sandman for the entirety of the season of our coverage of uh, of the Sandman on Netflix. Uh, we hope we'll be back with Sandman Season 2. If not, we do have Good Omens Season 2 coming up on Prime Video, and also, as I mentioned earlier on, Anansi Boys, um, which will appear on Prime Video later on, I think early next year. Uh, announcement coming, I think, next week of a, of a release date for that as well. But uh, we'll be covering uh, both of those Neil Gaiman shows on this main feed on tvpodcastindustries.com, so make sure you stay subscribed uh, to the podcast, or maybe you'll find something else uh, that we're covering that you might be interested in. We're covering uh, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power at the moment, uh, and also closing out our coverage of Marvel's She hulk as well so lots of uh, very different stuff on our feed yes so just make sure you subscribe to tvpodcastindustries.com or just tv to podcast industries on your podcast catcher of choice we are going to be doing a host of entertainment over the next 12 to 18 to 24 months who knows what's going to keep coming there's many shows coming <laughs> there's going to be something you love mm-hmm. so make sure you subscribe and if you really enjoyed what you hear you can support the show by heading on over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries and support us for an ongoing monthly amount, any of your choice, or you can do a one-off donation by heading to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI. And that can literally buy our editor-in-chief a coffee. Yeah, and a quick huge thanks to Gail Cleary for her buy us a coffee, effectively, or yes. buy me a coffee, um, which uh, came through uh, really good to get the one-off support uh, to good. help with all the different things that are, are needed, such as the hosting of the website mm-hmm. and, and all the processing that goes into the podcast. So thanks, yeah. Gail. Yeah, not to mention all the coffee I need to do, all the editing and production. Exactly. Of the podcast. Well, exactly. <laughs> That's literally why we buy him a coffee. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gail. You can also support us by liking, reviewing, because you know you love those five stars, and of course sharing the podcast, because sharing the podcast is what, gentlemen? Sharing the love. It is sharing the love. Or, dare I say, it's sharing the dream. Sharing the dream, yes. Yes, thank you so much for everyone for joining us. 
But with that, I believe, boys, we should head off to the realm of dreams. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for joining us. We will talk to you again next time. Yes, thanks so much, fellow dreamers, for joining us on our journey through the dreamscape of the Sandman. It has been fantastic. Uh, remember, in the meantime, keep watching, keep listening, and keep dreaming. Nighty night. Bye. Bye.